are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you'd like to get your own four volumes, go over to Tan Books and use the code PODCAST15 at checkout, and you'll save 15% off. And after today's reading, go over to Facebook, and there you can discuss the day's readings with others who are following along at the Mystical City of God in a Year Facebook group. Today is day 60, and today we are reading from chapter 8. We are reading paragraph numbers 516 to 525. Chapter 8. Of the Virtue of Charity in the Most Holy Mary, Our Lady. 516. The most excellent virtue of charity is the mistress, the queen, the mother, the life and beauty of all other virtues. Charity governs, moves, and directs them to their ultimate and true end. Charity leads them on to their ultimate perfection, preserves them and makes them grow, enlightens them and beautifies them, gives them life and efficacy. If the other virtues confer each their measure of perfection on creatures, Charity gives them perfection itself and brings them to their full complement. Without charity, all is of small value, obscure, languid, lifeless, and unprofitable. Not being endowed either with the essence or the appurtenances of true vitality, charity is kind, patient, meek, without emulation, without envy, without offensiveness, desires not to acquire but readily distributes all, is the cause of all good and consents not to evil as far as it is concerned. 1 Corinthians 13.4 It is the fullest participation in the true and ultimate good. O virtue of virtues and greatest treasure of heaven, thou alone hast the key of paradise. Thou art the dawn of eternal light, the sun of eternity's day the fire which purifies, the wine which inebriates with new delights, the nectar which rejoices, the sweetness which satiates without surceasing, the chamber of rest for the soul, a bond so intimate that it makes us one with God, John 17.21, with the same bond that unites the eternal Father to the Son and both to the Holy Spirit, 5.17. On account of the nobility of this most excellent of all virtues, our God and Lord, according to the Gospel of St. John, wished to honor himself, or wished to honor it by calling himself charity. 1 John 4.16 There are many reasons why the Catholic Church attributes the divine perfections of omnipotence to the Father of Wisdom, to the Son, and of love to the Holy Ghost. For the Father is the beginning, the Son is engendered of the Father through the divine intelligence, and the Holy Ghost proceeds from both through the will. But the name of charity and the perfection which it implies is attributed to the Lord himself, without distinction of persons. Since the evangelist says indiscriminately, God is charity, this virtue is the Lord, has the distinction of being the terminus, or end of all in operations ad intra and ad extra. For on the one hand, all the divine possessions, which are the operations of the Godhead with himself or ad intra, terminate in the reciprocal union and love of the three divine persons, and thus they constitute an indissoluble bond of unity over and above the indivisibility of the divine essence, proper to it as being one and the same God. On the other hand, the works ad extra, namely the creatures, are an offspring of divine charity, and are ordained towards it 
so that, issuing from the immense sea of divine bounty, they also return by charity and love to the source from whence they sprang. It is peculiar to the virtue of charity, in opposition to all the other virtues and gifts, that it is a perfect participation of a divine virtue. It is born of one source, it is directed back to the same, and is more adapted to the eternal source than all the other virtues. If we call God our hope, our patience, or our wisdom, it is because we received them from his hand, and not because these perfections are in God as they exist in ourselves. But we call God our charity, not only because we receive it from the Lord and because he communicates it to us, but because he himself is essential charity. And the overflow of this divine perfection, which we represent to ourselves as a form and attribute of his divinity, redounds in our souls, transforming it more perfectly and abundantly than any other virtue. 5.18 Other admirable qualities of charity are manifest in the relation between God and ourselves. For as this virtue is the source of our being and afterwards our highest end, God himself, it is also the spur and the ideal of our affection and love of the Lord. For as the knowledge that God is in himself, the infinite and highest good, is not sufficient to move and incite us to love him, at least the knowledge that he is our own greatest good should draw and oblige us toward his love. If we could not know how to love him before he gave his only begotten for us, 1 John 4.10, we certainly cannot have an excuse for not loving him after that sacrifice. For although we might be exonerated for not being able to merit such a benefit, yet now, after we have received the sacrifice without our merit, we can certainly not be excused for not acknowledging the favor. 5.19 The example which divine charity furnishes for our own manifests still more the excellence of this virtue, although it is difficult for me to explain my perception of this excellence. When Christ our Lord founded his most perfect law of love and grace, he exhorted us, to be perfect imitators of our Heavenly Father, who allows His Son to rise over the just and the unjust without distinction. Matthew 5.45 Such doctrine and such an example only He Himself, the Son of the Eternal Father, could give to men. Among all the visible creatures, there is none like the Son to compare with divine charity and to show us how to imitate it. For this most noble star from its very nature, without hesitation, and entirely according to its own innate tendency, distributes its light in all directions, and without distinction to all who are capable of receiving it, and on its part never denies or suspends its benevolent activity. And this it does without desiring acknowledgement, without imposing any obligation on anyone, without asking for benefits or requiring any return, without finding in the objects of its enlightening bounty any previous goodness to move and draw it towards them. Nor does it expect any profit in the communication of its own blessed light, in which all participate and share. 5.20 At the consideration of the noble attributes of this created charity, who will not recognize the signature of the uncreated charity which it follows? And who is not ashamed of failing to imitate it? Who can claim to have true charity in himself without copying its prototype? It is true, our charity and love cannot create goodness in the object of its affection, as is done by the uncreated charity of the Lord. Nevertheless, even if by charity we cannot make good those whom we love, we can offer the goods of love to all without looking for the advancement of ourselves, and without proceeding to deliberate and study whom we are able to love and benefit in the hope of being repaid. 
I do not wish to be understood as saying that love is not free, nor that God was in any way forced to create through natural necessity. All the works ad extra, which are those of creation, are free acts of God. The example contained for us in divine charity points in another direction, namely that the free will must not twist or do violence to the inclination and the impulse of charity, but an imitation of the highest good, which in no way hinders the divine will in its inclination to do good. The human will must allow itself to be moved and impelled by the inclination of charity to communicate its goodness. For in this manner the divine will is impelled to distribute the rays of the inaccessible light to all creatures, according to the capacity of each one, without any preceding goodness, service, or benefit on their side, and without hope of such return afterwards, as the divine goodness stands in need of nothing. 5.21 This is, in part, the nature of charity, and its divine, original God. Outside of God himself, however, will find it in the fullest perfection possible, to a mere creature, none other than the Most Holy Mary. And in her we find the model after which we are more immediately to copy our own charity. It is evident that the light, proceeding from the uncreated Son of Charity, where it is contained without limit or circumscription, communicates itself to all creatures, even the most remote according to an order and measurement adjusted in proportion to the proximity or distance of each from the divine source. And this order manifests the fullness and perfection of the divine providence. For without it, this providence would show a certain defect, confusedness, and discord in the creatures, as far as the participation of his goodness and love is concerned. The first place after God himself in the distribution of divine charity was due to that soul, and that person who was at the same time uncreated God and created man. For the highest grace and participation of love naturally was to be found where existed the closest and most intimate union with God, as it existed and as it will exist forever in Christ our Lord. 5.22 The second place is due to his most holy mother Mary, in whom charity and divine love found its resting place in a special manner. For according to our way of apprehending, the uncreated charity could not be quieted until it should find a creature to which it could communicate itself in such great plenitude that the love and affection of the whole human race should in its entirety be reproduced in that creature alone. It was intended that this chosen creature should, in herself, be endowed with the gifts of charity, without the shortcomings and the defects common to the rest of mortals infected with sin so that she by herself would be able to supply the balance of creation and make for it the greatest possible return of love. Mary alone was chosen among all creatures to imitate the Son of Justice and Charity, Canticles 6.9, and faithfully to copy this virtue from its original. She by herself knew how to love more ardently and perfectly than all the rest of creatures combined, to love God entirely for his own sake, purely, intensely, and without defect, and also loving creatures for God's sake and in a manner similar to him. She alone adequately followed the impulse of charity and her generous inclination of loving the highest good as highest good, without any side intentions, and of loving the creatures on account of their participation in God, without the thought of a return or reward of her love. And in perfect imitation of the uncreated charity, Mary, by her charity, was able and knew how to love in such a way as to make her better that which is loved, for by her love she made better heaven and earth and all things that exist outside of God. 5.23 If the charity of this great lady were put in the balance with that of all the men and angels, hers would outweigh theirs by far. 
For she by herself exceeded them all in her knowledge of the essence and qualities of the divine charity. And consequently, only Mary knew how to imitate it with adequate perfection and above all the powers of intellectual creatures. In this excess of love and charity, she repaid and satisfied the debt of infinite love due to the Lord from creatures, as far as he could demand a return of them. For the return was not to be infinite in value, that being impossible. Just as the love and charity of the most holy soul of Jesus Christ was in its greatness proportionate to the hypostatic union, so the love of Mary was great in proportion to the excellence conferred upon her by the Eternal Father, when he appointed her as the one, who as mother was to conceive and bear his son for the salvation of the world. 5.24 Thence we understand that all the gifts and the blessings of creatures depend in some manner on the love and charity of the Blessed Virgin toward God. In her alone it was possible that divine charity could exist in this world in its highest and ultimate perfection. She paid the whole debt of charity at a time when all men were unable to pay or even to understand the greatness of their debt. She, by her most perfect charity, obliged the Eternal Father to sacrifice His Most Holy Son for herself and in redemption of the whole world. For if Mary had loved less, and if her charity had been defective, the proper preparation for His incarnation would have been wanting. But as soon as any creature was found which resembled God so closely as she, it was to say but a natural consequence that he would descend to her as he did. 5.25 All this is the meaning of the words of the Holy Ghost when he calls Mary the mother of beautiful love. Ecclesiastes 24.24 As has already been explained correspondingly in regard to hope. These words to Mary signify Mary is the mother of him, who is our sweetest love, Jesus, our Lord and Redeemer, who became the most beautiful among men by divine, infinite, and uncreated beauty, and by human nature, which was to be without guilt or blemish, and to which no beauty of grace that could be communicated by the divinity was wanting. 1 Peter 2.22 She is also the mother of beautiful love, for she alone engendered in her soul the perfect love and charity and the most beautiful affection. All the rest of the creatures combined could not attain the beauty and faultlessness of her charity, for theirs was not worthy to be called absolutely beautiful. She is the mother of our love, for she drew it toward the earth for us. She cultivated it for us. She taught us to know and to practice it. There is no other creature in heaven or on earth that could be such a teacher of this beautiful love for men or angels. Therefore, all the saints are but rays of the sun and streamlets flowing from this ocean. So much the better will they know how to love the more they participate in this love and charity of Most Holy Mary. And in as far as they succeed, and imitating and copying it more exactly. This concludes our reading today for day number 60 from the Mystical City of God. Today we read from Book 2, Chapter 8, Paragraphs 516 to 525. Well, right away today in our reading, we heard kind of a paraphrase of that beautiful love poem. You're probably aware of it. You've heard it at weddings. Maybe you had it at your own wedding. But love is patient. Love is kind. It is not boastful. It is not envious and so forth. And I always think that's a good way for us to understand love. And for the married couple, often the encouragement would be to maybe remember these words. Put this scripture passage at the front of your house. Open a Bible so that every time you pass by it, you might remember what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. Well, think about our God who is love. 
God is patient, isn't he? He's patient with all of us, patient because of the ways in which we turn away from him. And so he waits for us to come back to him with all our heart. We return to that Trinitarian thought as we talked about Father, Son, and Spirit. And the idea is is that as God is love, well, the Holy Spirit is the spiration of the love of the Father and the Son. This is some of the teachings of St. Augustine and others throughout the ages, that when the Father and the Son in the beginning saw one another, they exhale, and that is the Spirit of God. That becomes an image of the Holy Spirit for us in our Christian tradition. We also know that St. John in the Gospel writes, God is love. And John, that most famous passage of John, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that he might die, that no one else might perish. God is love. And if we need a reminder of how much God loves us, well, just look at a crucifix. And you'll see that the God of the universe loved us so very much that he paid the price for our sins. And then finally in our reading today, we hear how Mary was filled with that gift of love, that God bestowed perfect love upon her. And again, it's all because of the Immaculate Conception. The perfection of Mary always goes back to the reality that God spared her from original sin. And so if she didn't have perfect love, then as Maria Vagrida said, there would be something that was wanting in the person of Mary. But there can't be anything wanting because she is the most perfect of God's creation as a human being. And so she has perfect love of God. And We've read previously about Mary being in the temple. Well, she has love of neighbor. She has love of God as she continues to come to know who God is. And as Mary is filled with that divine love of God, well, then Maria Vagrida says, in her we find the model after which we are more immediately to copy our own charity. And as the reading concluded today, and in as far as they succeed in imitating and copying it more exactly. Well, we see Mary's love, and we say, well, I want to love like that. And maybe in your married life, you've seen other couples who are in love and how they express their love. Maybe you see it on social media, how they share what they're doing. And maybe you say, well, I'm married, and I want to love like this couple, how they love one another. And so you copy that, you see what they do, and then you put it into practice in your own life. Maybe today, just sit for a few moments now and think about the love of Mary. I think you can identify moments of Mary's love all throughout the scriptures. But think about the Blessed Mother and how she loved. And then ask yourself, how can I love like her? I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading from the mystical city of God. I'm grateful that you joined me today, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.